Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of The Thunder Heist, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, starting with Rob J. Hayes. Uh, I'm Rob J. Hayes, uh, author of This One's at Hand, Along the Razor's Edge. And Michael R. Fletcher. Hey, I'm Michael R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption, some other stuff. And we are joined today by a very special guest author, Will White. Will, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. So if you didn't already listen to our first two episodes with Will, you can uh, scroll back through our feed and check those out. Um, Will, for the like three people who don't know who you are, who like reading <laughs> self-published books, do you want to give us a little, uh, little spiel about yourself and your books? Absolutely. The most recent book I've released is Reaper, book 10 of the Cradle series. The Cradle series is definitely my most successful series. I also have written two others, the Elder Empire series and the Traveler's Gate trilogy. And they're also out there somewhere. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> and you're the end. underselling Reaper a bit because do you want to tell us what number that hit in uh, Yonder Amazon store recently? It, yes, it hit, uh, hit number one on the, the Amazon store, which is pretty cool. That's... Uh, so you're saying you've got at least 10 sales. <laughs> yes, at least 10. That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's, it's at least 10. I can confirm that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, I think our third title to hit number one, which is pretty cool. That was uh, so Cradle's, Cradle's gone. I'm very getting very nervous about the end of Cradle. There's supposed to be only two, two books left. So I have no clue how I'm going to follow this up. But, uh, but at least we got two more titles that'll presumably do pretty well. Just do a George R. R. Martin and just leave it. <laughs> there you go that's right that's the i'm gonna do the thing he jokes about where uh the second to last book is just everybody dying and then 90 percent of it is just the wind blowing over their graves <laughs> be quite poetic i think what makes you yeah, nervous you about the the last two books i mean obviously it's always a tricky thing to kind of nail an ending especially one that's come at the end of a 12 book series but is there anything specific that you're sort of yeah just mindful of as you approach that that ending point 
Well, what's interesting is I think the last, the most risky or complicated thing I had to do in the ending, uh, I, I got took care of in Reaper. So I kind of have this structured almost like a final trilogy in the, in the series. And I think the riskiest thing I had to do was, was Reaper. So now I've just got to kind of land the plane, right? And I think most series don't crash and burn at the end. So I'm, I'm hoping that I can, I can land that plane a little smoothly. But I'm, I'm afraid that there's maybe a, a Game of Thrones season eight inside me waiting to rear its ugly head. Just, <laughs> just crash, crash it right into the, into the ground and burn it. But uh, I hope not. I hope not. So I'm, what I'm concerned about is that I won't tie everything up in a satisfying way or that people will think that I have been building up something that didn't, that didn't quite pay off. But primarily what I'm worried about is then I have to launch another series after that. And I think people's expectations, I, I, you know, I'm a little worried, like, what if it's not enough like Cradle? What if it's too much like Cradle? What if it's, so I'm just, you know, I get a little, get a little nervous. That's all. Yeah, fair enough. Rob, how have you kind of managed that sense of, are you heading away? Okay, then I asked Rob. He's done. He's leaving. He's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. So I just want to get into probably my favorite series, and it's just all of Rob's books. So let me just get into Rob while he's done. (laughs) Right as Rob mutes his microphone and walks out of the room. Let me just just compliment Rob. Okay. I actually really do like his... uh, Mortal Techniques books. I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. They're good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I suppose probably no no surprise to anybody who's read Cradle. They're thematically very similar. Very similar. Um, I think Rob might want to talk with you about a cultivation thing he's working on a bit later as well, actually. Oh, great. Awesome. Or, or progression, rather. Um, I'm not exactly sure of the distinction between those. Michael, you're sort of approaching the ending of a series when it comes to your City of Sacrifice trilogy and also the Blackstone Heart uh, yeah. ending. How are you... Yeah, so- I've, I've written the book. The book is finished. And so far I've rewritten the ending twice. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to rewrite it one more time because I, I don't feel like I, I kind of like hit everything. But right now it feels very much is like that landing plane, except uh, the Red Baron has shot me down and the tail end is on fire and all the smoke is pouring out. And I am plumbing, plummeting to what is likely going to be a fiery and extremely painful death. So it's pretty sweet. I'm, I'm super stoked. I love that. That sounds like the ending of a great adventure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get this uh, very dark trilogy. And on the one hand, like I'm torn. I I would kind of like there to be like a, like a hint of a redemption arc because honestly, no one expects that from me. Uh, And on the other hand, I would like to murder every single fucking character and just be done. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't ever, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to have to write more of those books, except they're selling and people like them. So I probably should. <laughs> there you go. But secretly, my entire plan with Cradle was to kill every single character. And that's where you have a Cradle to the Grave arc. That was oh. always, always. Ooh, yeah, see, this nice. is all just about that wordplay. That yeah, is clever. Six years of my life. You're going to take 12 that. books for um, wordplay. Yeah, nice. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's dedication. Will, was it always planned to be 12 books from the outset? So I had aimed for, not, not really from the outset. And when I was writing Unsold, I was like, I don't know how many books I'm going to be able to write in this series because I didn't think people were going to buy it. So that was, uh, I was like, I don't know, six, seven, maybe I'll get away with those every once in a while. I don't know how long it was going to take me to get those out. But then it was around book three in the series, Black Flame, where I started really planning out, okay, let's see how many I'm going to need to do this right because it's pretty apparent that I'm going to, that's good. This is my primary, this is my thing now. 
So when I realized that, I was like, okay, I'm on this train for a while. So I thought, I was thinking 10 to 15 books. I was going, this is, it would, it would make sense to be, so I was aiming for about 12. And then as I went further, it, I kind of adjusted. But if I had known from the beginning that there would be precisely 12 books, I would have been able to pace some things out better, I think. I would have just been able to know, okay, how much progress do I need to make at each juncture? And I think that would have helped. Yeah, fair enough. Um, one of the things you mentioned before, which yeah, I wanted to ask Rob before he <laughs> had to flee for some Sorry, reason. Sorry, yeah, the, the doorbell went. I had to go and answer it. All good. It's me. Um, I was just... That's right. <laughs> yeah, cool. Damn it. <laughs> it's Dirk outside <laughs> the front of your house um, who can't right. be with us for this episode. But um, yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Rob, it r- related to what Will was saying about that kind of, um, that strange pressure that comes at the end of a successful book series where you're like, okay, the next thing, do I make it similar to the thing that I just did that went well, or do I make it really different? And the various trade-offs that, that come with that. As someone who's written, you've been like, what, five or six different series at this stage? Um, more, more. more. I yeah, just keep starting like... new series without <laughs> finishing old ones. I've, I've really got to stop doing that. <laughs> so, um, so, Rob, how, how many uh, how many books do you have out now? I'm, I'm really curious. Okay. Uh, I think I'm on 15. Let me Google um, that to check. Wow. Yeah. and uh, But it, it, it's kind of split. So, I mean, I've got... I, personally, I've got the, the first Earth Saga, which has got <laughs> a trilogy, a duology, and a standalone in it, but I collect them all into to one thing. Uh, I've got the... Uh, the Mortal Techniques books, which there are now three of. Um, I've got The War Eternal, which there are three books of, with two more coming. I've got the It Takes a Thief books, which is a duology. Uh, and then I've got a standalone drones. That's it. Out at the moment, I think. <laughs> I forget. Uh, but I've got more books written waiting to, waiting to go. But um, back to the original question. Uh yeah, so when I wrote my debut trilogy, which was a very sort of grim, darky, uh, you know, sort of epic fantasy style thing, I then decided I want to write something different. So I wrote a light-hearted steampunk caper with elements of romance in it, um, and it crashed and burned because, well, partly because nobody really wanted that, and partly because the people who were reading my stuff then moved on to that and just went, "What the fuck is this?" You know, you've, you've built up a dark, uh, a, a dark fantasy audience and then you're releasing this lighthearted fucking romantic steampunk thing and people are just like, I don't want this shit. So, um, so there's definitely a pressure to write more of the same sort of thing, um, partly because you don't want to destroy your own momentum, which is exactly what I did. You know, if I'd, if I'd released another dark fantasy thing, it might have sold as well as like the, the first one and, and then my career might have gone... Um, much like Will's house um, but <laughs> instead it kind of uh, crashed and burned because I just I wrote something completely different which nobody wanted so what was your what was your debut trilogy was that uh, It Takes a Thief or was that no that uh, was The Ties That Bind oh, so started okay, with The no Heresy Within then right. going The Color of Vengeance The Price of Faith yeah. and then a little gap before some more books in that series correct correct yes and yeah, I, um, I googled it, Rob. Apparently, according to uh, a certain website, you have sixteen books published. Really? Does 16? that sound right? Yeah. The hell's the sixteenth book? <laughs> I I know for me, sometimes they count books I've unpublished. So I had like a collection of short stories and stuff that I then took down and or combined. That's what it is. It's counting the bound folio, which is my collection of yes, short stories. Correct. Yeah. 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 
Uh, you got I always forget about that one because it was a short story collection sell being not no. at all. You put <laughs> yeah. it out and it's I, like your three hardcore fans get it. And they're like, yes. But the rest of the planet is like, ah. So the, the most fun illustration I've ever done is I was, I was teaching a, uh, I was teaching a, a class at a conference and it was for a bunch of aspiring writers. And so there's 50 or 60 people in the room and they, they were also, they were saying, somebody asked me, okay, you're saying not to write short stories if you want to sell. Well, why not? I, we, I've been working on short story collections and I think a lot of people here have, and they're like, yeah. And I said, okay, look, and it's spontaneously, I was like, all right, how many people here have bought and read a novel in the last year? And everybody in the room raised their hand. And I said, okay, how many of you have bought and read a short story collection in the last year? Three people raised their hand. I was like, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> It's, but yeah. it's the reason it, but people don't even just want like single short stories like they're, they're, they might sit there and go you know i'll be really good to have a, a short story about this character or whatever you write it and barely anybody reads it because yeah they just don't actually want that what they want is another full-length story um it's like uh, I, I released the uh, the century blade which is a short story based in the mortal techniques uh world mm -hmm. and the majority of the reviews basically just said i wish it was longer i wish it was a full story and it's like yeah, you can't win because so well, many people clamor yeah. for it. What's funny is I think we consume a lot of short stories. There's a lot of YouTube channels that are effectively just people reading out short stories or performing short stories. Or and I think there's a lot. I think there is room for short fiction, but when people are reading, they don't. I mean, that's not what I want, right? When I go to a when I go to somebody's website, I'm not looking for one standalone short story. If there were a lot of little short stories that effectively add up to a longer story, that I might be into. But it's I think maybe in a podcast format, it might work. I think maybe like if it was a collection of horror short stories or something, I think that would be, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been going, I actually, I've realized that I actually am like, look, I, I consume short fiction quite often. It's just not in the form of short stories that I go out and read. So I was just trying to think, hmm, how would that work? So anyway, the follow-up to Cradle is just going to be a bunch of short stories. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem because yeah, you're right. It's like, they're very like short the benefit of short stories is it's really easy to kind of discover new things by new authors because you you know you look at a new epic fantasy book and you're like that's you know, a 20 hour commitment to go through it it's difficult you know it might have good reward on the other end but that's hard to get into initially but you know a short story could be a 30 minute podcast episode like on escape pod i was really into listening to them a few years ago they do sci-fi short stories really good and that's cool because you don't really need to care about is this an author I recognize? Does this have name recognition? You're literally just going, yeah, like they generally pick good short stories. I'm going to trust them on this. This has a cool name. Let's go. But the problem with that is on the author's end and from the business perspective, like how do you kind of get compensated for that? Because not many people are willing to sort of just like, you know, probably pay for a short story that takes them only 30 minutes to consume. So then it's like, oh, you kind of maybe need a Patreon model, which is slightly work for this podcast um and i wonder if like kindle vela is gonna help a bit with that um but that yeah, is I've been more interested about that and i think there's probably is a way to monetize it in some way hmm. maybe it is patreon maybe it's ads i don't know but i think there's probably a way if you can get something that people are going to get behind it and build momentum on but i don't know how i wouldn't i don't know the right way i wouldn't know the right way to do that so that's maybe for kindle vela is a little bit different it's the web serial thing that a lot of people yeah it's definitely work Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at something like Royal Road, it's definitely been mm. proven that web serials can work to a massive degree. And so many of the, the authors that 
you know, sort of like made their name, their fortune, all of that lot through the web serial things are now being picked up by indie publishers, mm. um, you know, sort of publishing companies, um, publishing houses, and then releasing, you know, the completed works as full series of books, um, which is what I find incredibly interesting, seeing as how Vela now technically exists. They're still releasing the books as full books, or their stories as full books, rather than on Vela, as well as, you know, Patreon or whatever. Well, it's probably trying to tap that different market, isn't it? Because there's a certain audience of people who, yeah, want the, the full story and don't want to wait around for it, which is, which is interesting. Um, one thing I was going to ask you before, Will, is you don't have to give specifics on this if you don't want to, but like roughly what kind of percentage would you say is coming from like cradle sales versus the rest of your book sales from other series and stuff? Yikes. I don't have that number right now. I, I am. That's, that's, I have way too many numbers. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I don't, I'm sorry. I wish I, I wish I had that answer. I'm not sure. No, it I put you on the spot there. So mostly cradle. I'll tell you that. Sure. Uh, so the traveler's gate collected edition for a long time was one of our, was, was our consistently best-selling title because Kindle unlimited, it's really long because it's three books and a short story collection. And people who got it through Kindle Unlimited, which was most people, because you can get it for 10 bucks or you can pay 10 bucks for Kindle Unlimited and then just read it. Uh, that one was was one, our consistently best-selling title. So every time we had a new book come out, it would spike past that. But then everything would settle back down and the, the Collected Trilogy would, would stay up there. So that was true for a while. I highly doubt it's true now. Uh, and then every time I release a book in the Cradle series, all the Cradle books spike a little bit but and so does traveler's gate but not as much so i would i mean it's three quarters cradle uh, yeah fair close enough. to cradle also yeah, way more sense. i have uh, more cradle books out now than any other books because now i have 19 books out and 10 of them are cradle so we've now we've tipped the scales yeah <laughs> you're, you're in rather racing you you, you, you what, did what? A, a weird thing with your other series didn't you where you sort of like i did i did like it was, you wrote it was, you wrote it was, it was dumb you wrote like uh, six books, but over two trilogies. And it's sort of almost, was it telling the same events, but from a different perspective or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. it was. It was, uh, yeah, I had the, so I had them in pairs. So in the Elder Empire series, it was, I had of Sea and Shadow and of Shadow and Sea. And the idea was that it was kind of pirates versus ninjas on a Lovecraft sea. So <laughs> one side is a man who's a like magic pirate. And on the other side is a woman who's a magic ninja. And they are competing over the same objective in the in the three books. So that was something where it's 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 fun. I got to play with that a lot. It was a, it was an idea I really liked just creatively. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a neat thing to go. Oh, you can kind of it's you get a you get a full experience from one person's point of view, and then you get a full experience from the other point of view, and you get to kind of com compare and contrast and pick your favorite. And the pick your favorite part definitely worked. There are some people who are like hardcore on one team or hardcore on the other. But it confused people. <laughs> so people were, they didn't understand how it worked. So I tried to design it. And I tried to have the things written out and the instructions. I, I tried to make it as clear as I could. But uh, it didn't, people didn't, didn't gravitate to that. So I was like, okay, well, learned that. People who read the books rated them well, comparably to my other series. But a lot of people were turned off by, the, by that gimmick. So they didn't pick up the books at all. So I, I learned... I'm like, hey, don't confuse people. <laughs> that's, kind of my, that's kind of what I learned from that. 
you think if they had, if you'd had the the two point of views like interspersed within the same novel, like back and forth in alternate chapters, do you reckon that would have worked better? Or do you still think it would have been difficult? So I don't think people would have been confused. That was not what I wanted to do with the series. It was just, I thought it was a cool idea. So mm. the whole thing was, I, I was like, I think it'd be neat to have something like, uh, what, what, what I thought of it initially was like a movie. So you like have one movie that is for one group of people and one group is for one movies for another group of people this wasn't the actual idea but the way i pitched it to be just described it to people was if you had the had what women want the mel gibson movie and then you had what men want with a with a different leading lady <laughs> doing the same thing from the sure. opposite side i think that would have been an interesting thing because then you different people could have gone to the different movies and had different experiences and i just think creatively that's neat mm. yeah it's cool concept. so that was the uh, that was kind of the fundamental idea was I thought it would be cool. Now I never at any point wanted to write that story. It was always just a fantasy thing, but uh, that was what I was playing with. And so I could have easily combined it into one story where it's just have, you have two primary protagonists and they're competing over it. And that would have worked a lot better. I would have written that very differently. Probably would have been a lot easier. Probably would have sold better. <laughs> so lesson learned. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. no, it's good to experiment with that stuff though. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, and this is something we mentioned uh, sort of before recording, is a lot of the times when when writers are, you know, really in those early stages of their career and they're thinking about what their future is going to be like, it's really easy to be aware of the problems that you're facing as you're trying to break into publishing or trying to get that first mm -hmm. book done. It's a lot harder to prepare for the kind of problems that success can create because a lot of people yeah. don't talk about them as much. Um, and we have sort of touched upon a couple of them in this episode so far, things like, you know, you start to uh, kind of get captured by your audience in a sense and starts directing what you can work on profitably. Um, yeah, you can't like experiment too much outside of the audience you already built up because, yeah, they might not follow you to that. So I was just curious, like, what problems do you think success has kind of has kind of created for you as a writer? Obviously, there's been so many benefits to it as well. But what kind of problems has success potentially made? Um, and yeah, I guess what do you wish you kind of knew before you got to those points, if that makes sense? Wow, that's a really interesting question. The thing that, that immediately comes to mind is it's, it's a fan interaction. It's, the, it's very different interacting with a few hundred dedicated fans with a few thousand with now tens of thousands. It is, that's a, those are, extremely different experiences so i was able one of the things i did when i started out was i was going look i wanted to interact the way that i wanted authors to interact online so i, I was just like look what i wanted to do as a reader i'm going to do it as a writer and i was just interacting as a fellow fan of a lot of this stuff well the problem is as you get bigger and then you get known well now i can't just express my opinion now it's will white's opinion right it's it's this big official thing so i can't dislike anything anymore uh, or it's, or it's like official. And, and most of the time, I don't mean anything. I don't mean to tear down this person. I'm like, great. You, you did really well. There were a couple things I liked, a couple things I didn't like, but that's all they hear. Uh, so I recommended Iron Prince and I recommended it hugely enthusiastically. Uh, Bri uh, Iron Prince by uh, Bryce O'Connor and Luke Schmalenko. I recommended that to people who liked Cradle and I really, really went all out but there was one thing in the book that bothered me. And I, when I'm giving that a kind of review, I feel like I have permission to say the, the one thing that I, I didn't enjoy as much. Uh, and I made it very clear that was, but that's all anybody ever talks to me about is that one little thing I didn't like. 
And I was going, look, I said nine positive things and one negative thing. And I made it very clear that I was like, look, there's, there's in anything you read, there's something that didn't work, right? Anything I wrote, there's something that, that's not quite firing on all cylinders. And I was very clear that I super recommend it, but that's, that's the only thing people, people pick out and talk to me about. So it's, it's what that's just, it's, it's this illustration of somebody asked me what I think about something about a new book that, that comes out from another indie author and they asked me what I think. Well, now I have to say something positive because it's if I, whether I liked it or, or, or not, usually I, if it's something that people are asking me about, uh, unless it's just really terrible, it's, it's usually, there is something positive to say there. There's, it's usually something I didn't hate. I just, I liked it. Okay. But if I say that, that sounds like I'm tearing somebody down and I don't want to tear anybody down. I want, I want them to succeed. Right. So that makes it a lot harder to interact authentically with the audience in the way that I enjoy. It also is impossible to keep up with all my social media at the same level that I did before. Not only are there more social media platforms now, but there's more people on each of them. So it's impossible for me to have the same level of back and forth that I used to. And that's a little bit of a bummer, right? And then there are uh, just their expectations to people. Oh, that's one of the illustrations I have that I use sometimes is when you start out and you have a small fan base, you can sometimes get really figure out the fan base's opinion. They have one opinion. And then they get a little bigger and then you have two or three opinions, right? That you can get the, the prevailing opinions of the fan base. But then you get big enough and they have every opinion. There's a group of people <laughs> within the fan base that'll that thinks that thinks anything. I've I've gotten uh criticized I don't remember if you left this as a review or just like a, a critical comment. But where somebody was saying that they were complaining about the books coming out too frequently. Okay. So not being too <laughs> short, which I understand, but it's coming out too frequently. That was what he objected to because he didn't have time to finish reading and digesting the last one or rereading the series before the next one came out. So he didn't like it and thought I should release the books less frequently. Wow. That's great. So just anything. Like yeah. anything, any <laughs> position you can think of is now represented. So those are really the, I, the the things that I would encourage people to work on if they're gonna if, if they start seeing a sudden rise to success. Is there's a lot more pressure of expectation, and that's something that you've got to be prepared for and got to learn how to deal with. And it's you, so it's you know it's doable. It's just it can it can feel hard sometimes. It's there's I, I was. I broke down before Reber because I thought people were going to hate it. So, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I thought it was going to be bad. So I was genuinely emotionally braced for just abuse. And I was there. I was going to do it. I was going to release the book. I was like, I'm, I'm going to get torn apart. So I felt sick. I was, it was, I was, it was bad. And that was not at all justified. So it was completely in my head. But uh, the weight of expectations just, it's a lot sometimes. But yeah. yeah, that's what I would say people need to pay attention to and work on. Yeah, it's a uh, fame within the science fiction fantasy uh, area is, it's a funny thing. Like when I first started writing, my wife, uh, who is, for no reason whatsoever, is the jealous type. You know how wives kind of think that you are, somehow desirable to other women when <laughs> other women have never noticed you like for your entire life you, you don't exist and she was kind of like nervous she's like yeah, but what what happens if you're successful like like that's bad like what happens if you become famous <laughs> and i'm like name who is the most famous 
fantasy science fiction author you know and we were watching game of thrones and she's like yeah that game of thrones guy we're like okay george rr R. martin she's like yeah yeah him i'm like what's he look like she's like i don't know like bingo most <laughs> famous fantasy writer on the planet you don't really even know what he looks like it's like that's that's what fame is like yes <laughs> unless you're rob and you get oh man you're grocery shopping i've sold a lot of fantasy novels online i've sold a lot of fantasy novels online ladies (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably not one of the uh artistic professions where uh your close friends and family have to be particularly jealous of the attention you're getting from from your from your fans as opposed to being a rock star for instance um unless maybe you're i don't know neil gaiman but that's a that's a whole different category um yeah, I think that's interesting. How do you think people can can sort of prepare themselves for that before, um, you know, how can people prepare themselves for, I guess, responding healthily to fan criticism and praise before they get to that point? Because I feel that, you know, in the early years of writing, you are so desperate for that validation from an external source that you probably do try to read all the reviews of your work and you try to take it seriously. But there is a point where, obviously when you have, you know, thousands of people reading and commenting on your books, like it's just going to be physically impossible to, um, you know, not encounter a really negative opinion. So what can people kind of do in the early stages of their writing career to make sure that when they get to that point where they know their book's going to go out to tens of thousands of people, they, you know, have like a healthy response to that as much as possible within the situation. Yeah. I have a lot to say about taking criticism. I think one of the people ask me a lot of times, was it worth it to get a master's degree in creative writing? And I say it was worth it for me because there are a lot of things that I could have done on my own for free online. And I would have gotten the same benefit, but I would not have done those things. So I could have gone out and gotten a writing group. I could have gotten out there and got mentor experience to help me. I could have uh, regularly written stories and gotten feedback on them, but I would not have done that. I don't have the self-discipline to do that. So I put myself in a scenario where they'd make me and that was the degree. But a big part of what I learned there was how to both give and receive criticism. And one of the things when people, when people hear you got to learn how to take criticism is what they hear is you've got to learn how to take negative feedback that you don't want to take. Like you don't think it was negative, but they say it's negative. So you've got to learn how to take that without getting offended. And that's part of it. But it's also, you've got to learn how to balance contradictory uh, opinions. So one of the things I asked my professor one time was I got a one, one review that said, okay, this short story was good, but it should have been two pages shorter. It should have started here. And I had another one said, oh, it's good, but you should have fleshed this out. It should have been two pages longer. And I said, it's, it's literally the opposite advice. So I was like, I cannot follow both of these. I can't do both of what they're telling me to do. I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'll do, I'll go either way, but what should I do? And he said, that's what you gotta learn. So I think a lot of that is, I think people need to learn how to take criticism early because that's, of course, I'd not sold the book at all. So that was, you, you, you have to get practice going, okay, what do people, what do people think? What am I good at? What am I bad at? And I think the way to make those decisions is who am I writing for? Who's my target audience? And that is how you know which of these criticisms to take and which ones to ignore. So when I first wrote House of Blades, my first book, 
one of the some of the review early reviews were like this isn't like game of thrones at all that was a, a real review that i got <laughs> one time and i was like great does that mean i need to change anything no it doesn't i'm not out there to, to write game of thrones this person thought it was going to be this adult political long fantasy thing and it wasn't it was just an action thing with him fighting monsters with swords and i was like exactly so that is the uh that that's the kind of thing where that's the obvious example but when it comes to, down to these to these things you've got to be able to go okay uh what criticism do i take why am i taking it who is this for and i think as you get further it becomes you've got to start realizing that reviews are not written for you, the author, they're written for other readers. So this criticism that they're giving, even if the, re even if the reviewer thinks otherwise, sometimes the reviewer thinks they're giving you gold that you need to listen to and change, but that doesn't mean they're correct. That doesn't mean that that, that, that really is what you ought to do. Uh, I had another review on Reaper a couple of days ago where th this person said, what you should have done mm -hmm. was, kept it to one point of view and so they called me it said called my name in the review will this is what you should do you should keep cut the number of of point of views there's way too many it's too frustrating you need to stick with just london's point of view so that was a two-star review and i looked and i had six thousand reviews and ratings and it's 90 percent five star and nine percent four star and none of them mentioned anything about having too many point of views except this one so i'm going effectively it's like what they're really saying is, I had this experience, which is a perfectly fair thing to say. But what they're framing it and they're phrasing it like, Will, you should do this. And that's wrong. That's incorrect. It's the, I should not do that. I should listen to the, all these other people who are saying the opposite of what they're saying. Because there's way more of them. And they are also the, this is a, they're also on board for what I'm going to do. This person wants me to do something different. He wants me to stick with only one point of view. He doesn't like multiple points of view. That's not, that's not the story I'm telling. And I am aware of that. And it is not a, an overwhelming movement in the thing. So I'm not going to change anything, but I feel like the tendency is to give those things higher weight than they deserve. And so the more you practice that mental thing of, listen, what they're, what they're really doing is they're expressing their personal experience with the book, which is totally fine. And that's a, that's good information for me to have. Okay. There are some people out there who don't like multiple points of view. It's good to file that away, but they think they're giving you actionable advice and they're not. So that's a, I think that's a big lesson to learn. I think 10 books in is probably a little bit uh, late to start pointing out that you, you <laughs> right, right. Like, I mean, I, I, so far I have read book one. And there are more than one point of view. <laughs> exactly. Go back and he said, why, why can't you go back to the, he said in the review was, why can't you go back to the beginnings of Cradle? And I was like, at no point does this entirely a Linden point of view, like not even in book one. Where book one, of course, has the most Linden in it because it's mostly him, but uh, it's still not just a Linden point of view. <laughs> yeah, I find there's, uh, th there's a strange switch in perspectives with taking criticism, um, which is, I find when I, when I when I started out, I'd sort of I'd take criticism and I would try to take all of the criticism on board. You know, my mindset would just be like, OK, how can I fix it? What can I do? OK. Um, and then, you know, 15, 16 books in, whatever, uh, I, I found that at some point I switched. So I instead of taking the criticism and trying to think of it on board, I'd sort of see criticism and be like, what do you know? Um, so you have to sort of like. You have to, it, it's that switch of brain where you're like, instead, you know, when you're 
starting out you try and take everything and then you get to a certain point and you start taking no criticism whatsoever yeah and that's that's just as bad as taking all the criticism the stages too are fun you go through a stage where you read a review and you're like you know what this is rife with spelling mistakes and grammatical errors you don't know a fucking thing about what you're talking about i'm not listening to you and which may or may not be right or you know wrong but um you know going from there to uh for me, I like, I kind of realized I actually wasn't going to change what or how I write based on what other people wanted, which probably just makes me unmarketable, but whatever, I don't care. Um, and so like, I was still, even though I was like not willing to change things based on what people wanted, I was still stocking reviews on Goodreads and whatnot. Uh, and then just, uh, just a week or two ago, I scrapped my Goodreads account. So, uh, I don't look at reviews anymore. It's kind of crazy because I, I figured if I'm not going to do anything about them, why the fuck am I reading them? On, on a personal note, I just hate Goodreads. I've always hated Goodreads. It's a personal thing. I shouldn't hate it. I should use it as the tool that it is designed to be. But I can't stand Goodreads. I just can't stand it. I'm uh, like, yeah, I just want then. just let me read my books. Don't 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 make me comment on them and put them in my digital library. And I don't want to want to do all this. Uh, to be honest, I think the problem with Goodreads is it tries too hard to be a social media site. So exactly you know, right. You, you, you've got some person who, who you know, is on your friend's fit list and they've like liked, uh, you know, the, the reviews of every single book, you know, uh, uh, well, every, every single review of a book. And that's all your feed becomes. Mm. And you're like, that's, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to look at what book are my friends reading? Oh, that one sounds interesting. I'll pick yes. that up. Exactly. If it was mostly that, I would have no, I wouldn't have a negative opinion about it. But now it's just they they push the social media aspect of it so much, and I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's great. Yeah, I just avoid the feed, <laughs> as I do on pretty much every social media thing I'm on. I think this could be a good point to start uh, wrapping up this uh, part one of this interview. Um, so Will will be joining us for you listening or watching next week um for us we will time travel to next week and continue talking with will in the next part oh, of this episode it was super smooth you really do yeah. thanks thanks mike <laughs> not in the so least confusing. bit complicated there jed not at all not at all um yeah so if you're new to the podcast feel free to subscribe and our second part of our will white chat will be next week we'll see you then bye everybody Aww.